Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Transition. Today, we're going to roll up our sleeves and get into the nitty gritty of how to stand up a content marketing process in government. As I previously defined it, it really is simply the future of the way governments communicate. It enables departments and agencies to explain their policy and programs on their own and other platforms, and it enables them to go direct to the often very specific niche audiences they are seeking to explain their policies and programs too. Well, listen, a man who knows plenty about content marketing in government is David Rawlings from Landmark Media in Adelaide, Australia, and he joins me now. David, hello, and thanks for being in transition. Pleasure to be with you, David. David, before we get into the content marketing discussion, let's introduce you to the audience. What's the David Rawlings story? Okay, well, I guess I've approached communication in the very early days. I trained as a journalist and then went straight into corporate communication. And a lot of my work nowadays with the work that I do with Landmark and also with Content Marketing Adelaide is in the online space, in connecting government clients and connecting corporate clients, non-profits with their audiences using using the web. So I guess my experience is in communication and PR, but at a nuts and bolts level in writing relevance to connect people with a message. And that's something that I've taken through to clients that I work with today. Now, you, you have worked for a lot of government clients in, in this particular space. Let's just, let's take on this issue of the, of the name content marketing. What do you think of the word content marketing or the description of the business process of content marketing? And how best do you think it can be communicated to government clients? I think you're absolutely spot on in your intro that you use the word marketing to anybody in government and their instant thought is of somebody who works for a corporate marketing or corporate communications team. And I've had CEOs and executive directors of large departments tell me point blank, we don't market around here. We, we, uh, we only communicate. Yeah. <laughs> what I try to do, what I, what, yeah, what, it, it's fascinating. What, what I try to do with them is to say, look, it's a two-word phrase. If marketing's too hard for you to get your head around, that's fine. Let's, let's focus on the word content. Because so many in, in government, once they understand that their content isn't so much what they want to say, it's what their audiences need to hear, that's, that's when they start to break through in terms of how they can use content marketing as, as a concept quite effectively. So what do you see as the single biggest challenges for government in getting started with content marketing? One of the biggest challenges that, that I seem to face every week when I, when I sit down across the table from a government client is the fact that they think that so much of the communication nowadays is still one way. It's, it's unidirectional. So even when they, they decide to set up in social media or they set up in camp on a, with a new website, what they tend to do is still believe that they can just shout at people who drift past on the web. And that, to me, is the biggest challenge because social media is built as a conversation. Interestingly, if, if you go back through some of the comments by Sir Tim Berners-Lee, who was the father of the internet, not Al Gore as previously claimed, but Sir Tim Berners-Lee said that uh, the web as it is now with social media is actually what he intended it to be. The web is always supposed to be a connection and a communication, but so somehow so many government departments seem to think that it's just another opportunity to scream at people while they're, they're sitting there watching, and it, it's not that at all. But do you think that that comes from 
perhaps the risk-averse attitude that they really, it's not so much that they don't want to listen, but they're afraid that people may say things that either their minister or one of the minister's advisers or, in fact, some of their leadership might not like? Yeah, I think that's one of the issues. I, I was working with one client uh, down here in Adelaide on what was a large media issue and a lot of people were unhappy and I was sitting down with their executive team and saying, look, let, let's prepare a way to deal with it on social media and, and they said, the leadership point blank, we are not going to talk about this on social media because we cannot control the, the conversation. And thankfully, that conversation turned around. As they were talking, I, I opened my MacBook and, and flicked open the 25 different Facebook groups that were already having that conversation. So I think that's, that's often the, the thing is, look, if, and that's, that's what I see as, as a, it's a fascinating conundrum, I guess, with government because if you talk to anybody in leadership in government, they, they want to consult and, and they need to consult. But there's always the nagging thought in the back of their mind is if we ask people what they think, what happens if they tell us they're unhappy? So how, the, so how then do you go about this process of sitting in those meetings, you're talking to very senior people who are saying, look, we're prepared to tell, but we really don't want to listen. What are some of the things that you say or some of the things that you do to get them to understand that perhaps there's real value in listening uh, to what is being said on social media and in other channels as well? Yeah, I think the key word in all of that is the word value. Um, one thing I find myself doing a lot is deconstructing people's mistaken conceptions about, about what this is or what this could be. Um, and that's just not government. I mean, that, that's corporates too. I, I've chatted with CEOs who've told me, you know, we're not going to go on Facebook because I'm not an 11-year-old girl. And so it's a case of saying, okay, well, let, let's break that down and just see what exactly we are talking about here. And let's actually get some, some truth to, to what's, what we're discussing. But the key to it is value. It's like any conversation you have in business. If, if I was to wander into to any business and say, hey, you should be on social media, you really are captive to their feelings and thoughts and experiences on social media. But if I walk in and say, look, if you engage with your customers better, you can take your sales ratio from one customer sale per year to three, suddenly they're interested. And the same works with government. If you can show them that if they actually use social media as a research tool as much as a broadcast platform, that they can actually generate savings in the tens of thousands of dollars in research or perhaps establish an ambassador's program about a particular issue. Once you start talking numbers with dollar signs in front, they often start listening. So what I try to do is, is talk less about isn't Facebook cool, isn't Facebook exciting, you know, smiley face, LOL. It's more how can we actually use these tools to generate some value for what you are trying to do. And once you have that conversation, that often breaks down the barriers. Okay, so let's have a look at your process and the way you go about implementing content marketing, which, as I said in the introduction, is very much a strategic business process that uh, uh, in, it uses both online tools and offline, sorry, online and offline channels uh, in, in that strategic business process. But how, in fact, do you go about standing up a program when you're engaging with a client? Well, one thing I often do, and this is probably drawing from the years I spent in PR, is, is to work backwards. Is so many businesses that I see in a social media or a web space, they launch into a brave new world and then the first post is usually how excited they are to be there and the second post is usually something that they've scrambled at the last minute because they realised it's been a long time since they posted and the third post never arrives. <laughs> So, so what I tend to do is work backwards and say, okay, like for example with a government client, if you're dealing with a particular uh, public issue, 
rather than say, all right, let's start with Facebook. What are we going to say? Let's work back and say, well, all right, let's, what do you want to achieve? And if what, do you, what you want to achieve is to have real conversations with people, well, then there are platforms to choose to that. If, if, if you want outcomes where it's strictly about awareness or participation, there are ways we can do that. If it's about education, perhaps we'll stick some videos up on Vimeo or YouTube if you have to. And so I tend to work back and, and that, that often provides the greatest success. It, it's frustrating to see organisations head out into a communication platform and you ask them if it's working and they don't know because they didn't actually start out with an idea of where they were heading in the first place. So that's what I do with clients is to is to say, all right, let's let's look at the value proposition first. Let's look at what you want to achieve and then let's cherry pick what we need to do and what platforms we need to use and what messages we need to say so we can get there. Which as as one client said to me late last year, this isn't rocket science. I tend to think that it kind of is. It's just that if you do understand it, you are a rocket scientist. Because there are so many companies that could benefit from reversing their thinking but they don't. So how do you think that it's, that's ever going to change? Or do you see it changing at the moment, that there is a greater acceptance of the fact that you know, technology has changed the way that the world communicates and everybody is indeed now a media company or has the potential to be a media company and has that ability to go direct to engage with the audiences who they're seeking to uh, influence? I'm seeing that change already, just particularly with government. If you look around Australia, that those, those state governments that are engaged effectively with their constituents are the ones who have people at the top who actually don't just use social media, but they, they understand it. We, down here in South Australia, a, a few premiers ago, Mike Rand was, was instrumental in changing the way some parts of his government looked at, at the web simply because, well, he was an ex-journalist, so that helps but he would regularly uh, tweet headlines to journalists and so that, that, that hastened the, the, the rate of change. But the one thing I find is, is the more successful case studies that are out there, the more that particularly governments, uh, departments are looking to almost emulate what's, what's happening. We, we've seen that this, this fire season with, with the CFS down here in South Australia and with the emergency services up in Queensland is, is there are some excellent case studies to look to now where you can say, look, Instagram isn't just to show you what I'm drinking this Friday night. It's actually to, to track the, the progress of a cyclone or, or damage or bushfire. So I think it's slowly changing and that's probably driven by some of the success stories that are already out there. So content marketing really does require um, different skills and it's not simply outbound media or event focused. How does government go about preparing to communicate differently? I think it all starts with that understanding of this isn't just us broadcasting out. One of the, you mentioned before, what's the biggest challenge government faces? Another challenge that that governments face, I believe, when it comes to online communications is online communication is happening as of five seconds ago. We, we respond instantly. We, we tweet um, feedback almost instantaneously. Photos that have just been taken are automatically uploaded. But the challenge with government is, is sometimes that it has to go through 15 layers of approval before it actually hits the web. So I think it's, it's almost an understanding of this, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. This has very much changed. And we need to change our processes to match the rate of change with the people that, that we are talking to. It used to be, like I've worked with a number of universities who, who have said for, for quite some time that their students, you know, know far more than they do about this technology. 
I think that's very true in government as well. I think that um, there are a number of people who are already taking up the baton for, for causes or, you know, to, to generate interest in, in their particular point of view. And they are miles ahead of some government uh, departments simply because either they don't know what's there or, you know, they're, they're afraid of saying something or perhaps they just don't have the skill set. So I think it's about getting getting on the front foot now to say, look, everything's changed. We need to change with it. I, I had a conversation late last year with one government department where I simply said to them, look, this isn't a matter of, you know, do we embrace this change or not? The change is here. The question is, do you uh, do something with it or do you ignore it? It's not a case of is it an option? It's actually how do we go about this new brave new world that we're, we're talking to. What's what's your view about political offices, you know, with ministers and ministers' advisors and obviously, you know, their reputations are what they trade on in order to be elected, um, to be able to, to govern. So, you know, again, this risk aversion, which is part of the government environment that we work in. What, what's some of your what's some of your views on on that, and how indeed that can be challenged and that can be improved in terms of being able to uh, communicate more effectively around uh, the explanation of policies and programs? Look, I, th- I think that's I think that's an excellent question because, from my point of view, now I, I'm not a, a political animal who's who's looking to be. Uh, uh, to be elected at the next coming election, so I don't necessarily have to go through everything I say and do with a fine-tooth comb. But one of the things that I've said to a number of people down here in, in Adelaide uh, when it comes to this is that I get a genuine sense from talking to people that when it comes to politics, everybody's cut from the same cloth now. And what people are looking for is someone who stands for something or someone who has some personality. And if you look at, to be fair to both sides of the political fence, we have two leaders federally at the moment who are both under the microscope as, you know, who are you exactly? One of the things that I found fascinating, which probably illustrates the point, was the other day when Julie Bishop was on the Today Show and she she answered a particular question that was asked by pulling a face, which she said was an emoji. Now, any advisor worth their salt would probably have had a coronary on the spot (laughs) that their, their minister was actually doing something like that. But if you want a case study in terms of the reaction to that, the very next thing that uh, I think it was Karl Stefanovic said was, that's why we love you, jo- uh, Julie Bishop. Now, if you sit back and analyse just that little exchange, there's a personality that, that comes out that's beyond the political process. Now, to extend that back to your original question, I think there's room there to create not just an information channel but a personality of who you are. It's so difficult in, in the, the crowded media uh, marketplace that the politics operates in to be who you are. Uh, we've seen that down here in Adelaide. We have Senator Nick Xenophon, who regularly outpolls the major parties on his own, and that's because he has a personality and he has a position. So I, I would say, again, don't jump in with both feet and, and your eyes closed, but there are ways to use social media to actually give us an insight into not just what you want to say, but but who you are. We live in a world of sound bites and Sometimes social media can cut through that, as can you know the web, as can other communication strategies as well. But how does that message ultimately embed itself uh, across all areas of, of political offices? How, how do people get that confidence to know that, as you are suggesting, 
uh, technology has changed the way the world communicates and what people are looking for and expecting. But how does that message get through so as that it changes the behaviour and perhaps the risk profile through which ministers' offices are managed? Look, I think based on, on the experience I have down here, it's, it's, it's baby steps. It's almost let's do one thing, let's do it well, let's do two things, let's do it well. And I understand totally the challenges of being inside a, a system that says don't step outside the lines, don't say this, don't say that, because we'll get caught out saying it. I think it's almost going back to my other point about talk, sitting down to, to government department heads. It's about trying to demystify this and saying, look, Yes, we will be on Twitter, for example, if that's the platform you chose. But it's not to say let's tweet every five minutes using the hashtag Q&A so that everybody sees it. It's a case of saying, all right, let's use Twitter three times a week, five times a week, whatever it is, but focus on what we're saying. I guess that's, that's where content marketing and social media are converging. In my personal views, content marketing should always been at the, at the head of, of social media. I've always cringed when I've heard someone say that you need to tweet you know, every second hour, otherwise you might as well not be communicating because that just implies you need to be focusing on quantity rather than quality. Look, it's part of a communication strategy. If, if a minister, if an elected member, if a head of a department has a strategy about how they're communicating with, with, their, uh, with their electorate, with their constituents, with the people that they, they represent, it's almost a, a way of saying, all right, how do we then use these online tools to market ourselves using the content we put out, which is not just to, to tweet every headline that we've got, but to how do we effectively respond to certain issues that, that are in, you know, under our control. It's a case of making, making small steps and then building on that. One of the key words that I've found over time is with success in content marketing is the word momentum, is you need to build and build and build and you've got to start somewhere. So if, if I was working for uh, a particular minister's office and was told point blank, you can't do this, it would be a case of sitting down and saying, well, let's analyse why. And if it's risk aversion, let's move that to risk management because risk, of, risk aversion is not something that you can actually generate some success out of, but managing and maintaining a profile on risk is. Okay, let's go back into government and perhaps if you might just give us a couple um, of examples of case studies that you've been involved in where you've been successful in implementing content marketing to promote either a government policy, or sorry, I shouldn't say promote because it's not their job to promote, it's their job to (laughs) explain, Um, but where you've been successfully been able to explain a, a policy or program on behalf of a government client. Sure. One of the ones that springs to mind is probably a little different to what many people think. I did some work down here for Premier and Cabinet. They had moved their intranet onto an internal social media platform and so I was working with them to, to train their staff across the board to better communicate to each other. Now, I believe that the content has a role to play to improve interagency communication as much as it has you know, the outbound stuff. But that, that was a very good project in, in training, you know, several thousand people in improving their communication across the board. And we we're able to look at different ways that people could improve, not just communications, but process, taking some of the, the principles of social media to take even the, the basics of uh, collecting agenda items and, and meeting times and shaving two or three hours off that person's um, workload per meeting. So that was that was good good to do in the sense that it, 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 we were able to show value and we were able to, to see 
people not just putting more content out there to each other, but also putting better content out there to to improve relations between government departments. I'm sure some of your listeners will know that just because you're in the same portfolio doesn't mean that you actually know who your brothers and sisters are. In fact, in some of the workshops we ran, we had people who actually had emailed each other for several years, never met face to face. So it improved their interagency communication just simply through focusing on what the best content is, what the key messages are and what you want from your colleagues as well. And external programs that you've been involved in? Yeah, I mentioned the, the one before. The, probably the, the best one was looking at developing a social media uh, program for a government department down here who was in a lot of hot water about a, a change that had been made. Now, that wasn't the department's decision. Uh, from an operational point of view, it came down from on high. And once we broke through the, the fact that, as I mentioned earlier in, in our chat, this wasn't simply a case of, well, let's head into Facebook and promote all of our you know, great stories. It was a case of, let's get in and engage with people. We managed to get half a dozen people who, who were part of the agitation that was out there in the public sphere to actually contribute to better debate and discussion and consultation, you know, in face-to-face forums and other such things like that. And this this was in the uh, the field of recreation and people were very passionate about something that they were about to lose. But once we, we, we got the we got the idea through to, to those who were making the change that it's not that we, you know, we're starting a conversation, we're just contributing and actually trying to connect with those people who are already having it. And I think there were 25 Facebook pages of people who were very unhappy and once we got through that, it actually, you know, it, it broke down some of the barriers and all the, the online argy-bargy that was going on slowed down very quickly and, and eventually petered out, which is from, from the client's point of view, what they were looking for. What's your view on the very important issue of the governance of the information assets that are created as part of a content marketing process? Government obviously has to be held to a very high standard uh, in the production, but also in the management and the auditing and the approvals and the processing and everything else that goes into uh, those content strategy elements of of a content marketing plan. How difficult do you think that that is for government to manage that 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 process where they're able to really uh, keep the content relevant, keeping it fresh, but also making sure that they're maintaining some really good health around their, their content assets? I guess breaking that, that question down into two, I think the, the one part of content marketing and communication that, that government does well, particularly online, is the governance side of things. Risk aversion will automatically lend you towards signing something off more times than you need to simply because you don't want to you know, be off message, that sort of thing. So when it comes to the approval processes, I think you know, governments across the fact that they have to do it, I think their challenge is to shorten that time frame so that you know, we don't tweet about something that happened three days ago tomorrow because that's the only time that we could get it back. I think the, the, the second half of your question, yeah, I think one of the, another challenge that, that we all face in, in the online domain is, is to keep things fresh and interesting. Um, one of the things that, that I've, I've worked with a number of companies now to do is, is to build into their content strategies, not just you know, who on our staff is going to write this, but how can we effectively get our audience constituents, whoever it is that you're working with and whoever's following you, how can we use that content as part of our, our content uh, marketing as well? That, that's one thing that I think 
business focuses too much on content is what we have to say. But as you mentioned in the intro, content creation is also matched by content curation. So I think that's one thing government should absolutely be doing more of is, is not just working out what they have to say, but relieving the workload with how can we use material that's, that's generated by people out there on the web and, and use it for what, you know, what, what we're trying to say. Yeah, no doubt. And I think also the use of, of third-party stakeholder channels as well when the government does have something to say is a very effective way to, to reach more people with that you know, relevant and valuable content that they've created. Oh, completely, yeah. That, that's, that's one thing that's really underdone when it comes to content marketing is, is the one thing I've said to clients in workshops or, or sitting down across the table from them is let's write it once and let's deliver it as many times as we can. And that there's a general feeling of, well, we wrote it for our Facebook page. We wrote it for our, you know, it's our tweet. The reality is you've got so many stakeholders in government that you can write your content once and see if you can place it in five different places and then suddenly the reach is, is five, you know, it's, it's astronomical compared to, to what it would have been had you just put it out through one channel. No question. Just in terms of that, that ability to be able to create really compelling content and having the skills to be able to produce you know, high-quality uh, video, audio, uh, stills, uh, graphics, infographics, other motion graphics, all of that uh, really good, interesting content that you do see around the web. How well-prepared do you think government is to be able to produce that really media-rich, engaging content? Look, certainly some of the government departments that, that I've been working with, they're really on the, the cusp of it. Uh, we're, we're currently working with um, one of the departments down here with, with an issue of uh, Aboriginal employment and developing a series of, of videos and just telling the stories that of people who have, have found an apprenticeship, found work, you know, moved into a field that they want to work in as a result of the great work done by the department. That is... That is brilliant. And we, we are working with them not to come in with almost, you know, the, the eye of the advertising agency or the, the eye of the, the, the commercial television producer and saying, you know, we need to tell this cliched story. We are simply talking to people. And that is what is most compelling. So one thing that, that I often say to governments is you already have the stories to tell. It's just working out how you're going to tell them. And I'm seeing a lot 2015 for us and 2016 will be a lot of video storytelling is absolutely at the forefront of where communication is. I was going to say is going, but it's actually here now. But the one thing with government is they probably already have the stories to tell. It's just a case of how do you tell that story. Now, video doesn't have to be $75,000 video production. It depends on what you're trying to, to get it to do. Um, but if you can get people to tell their own stories and then edit that together into a content program, it's, it's compelling stuff. We, we have, as, as human beings, listened to others' stories for, for generations and it hasn't changed simply because Facebook rocked up. Mm, exactly. Well, David, thanks very much for giving up some of your valuable time to be uh, with us in transition today. It's a, it's a fascinating uh, part of uh, the transformation of communication in the government sector I think there is lots of great things going on, not only in Australia, but around the world. But there's so much more to do. And I think the other really interesting thing out of all of this is that where we are today, uh, it's going to be a different place in six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years. And so 
all of us who are in this storytelling caper are going to have to continue to change, to innovate, to adapt, to adopt, to change. So really, uh, we're never going to stop learning. And isn't that a nice place to be? It is actually. It, I, I, it keeps it fresh. And, and I think that's the thing. There, there is no formula in the sense of, you know, once you've cracked it, you just sit back and, and every piece of content you produce from then on is, is absolutely brilliant. It's you're always learning and something's always different. And the fact that the online space changes so quickly means that you have to stay on your toes, which I think makes it really exciting. And I think it's a great point that you make also around the fact that governments are so content rich. There are so many stories that are out there that need to be identified. We need to get from the big macro, this is the program and it's saving $2 billion to show me, show me how this is saving, you know, where is the story behind that, you know, unbelievably unimaginable big number that really doesn't mean anything. The story will mean everything to me, but the number means nothing. Absolutely right. And look, it, I, I was chatting to, to a guy from uh, one of my government clients late last year and basically said, your big challenge is to turn the camera around because all of their content is, the minister said, the department feels if they turn their camera around, that is what is going to compel people to engage with them by, by talking about the impact of what they do, which in a lot of cases is, is some fantastic work, which often, sadly, goes, goes unrecognised. Well, David, where can people learn more about you and the work that you do and how might they be able to get in contact with you? Probably the best place is, is we have a, a group of, of professionals down here looking after content marketing right across the spectrum, copy, video, design. So if you head to uh, www.contentmarketingadelaide, uh, Google us if you need to and, uh, and we're there. And happy to chat. To, to anybody that, that would like to, even if you've just got questions arising from today, happy to start a conversation. That's, that's what communication is supposed to be about nowadays. Fantastic, David. Thanks very much for giving us some of your time. Uh, all the best for a very busy 2015, 2016 and beyond. And thanks very much for being in transition. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.